Well, good morning. We've had a week of remembering our late Queen, Queen Elizabeth II, and been reminded about many things regarding her long reign. And as I was preparing this week, I was reminded of her coronation, which took place on the 2nd of June, 1953, a long time ago. It was a grand occasion, as you might imagine, uh, but amongst the ritual and the spectacle and the glory of that occasion, a curious thing happened from my perspective, I suppose, as a Christian believer. At a certain point in the service, the Archbishop of, of Canterbury, the leader of the Church of England, presented the Queen with a Bible. And uh, it was presented uh, with these words, Our gracious Queen, to keep your majesty ever mindful of the law and the gospel of God as the rule for the whole life and government of Christian princes, we present you with this book, the most valuable thing this world affords. Here is wisdom. This is the royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. It's a pretty extraordinary statement, isn't it? We present you with this book, the most valuable thing this world affords. This book, this one here, the most valuable thing, that's a big call, especially when you're talking to the Queen. Is the Bible more valuable than Buckingham Palace and Windsor Castle and all those royal estates? Is the Bible more valuable than royal dominion over the United Kingdom and Australia and New Zealand and Canada and all of those other places? Or to change our line of questioning a little bit, is, is the Bible really more valuable than all the ordinary blessings of life like family and friends and, and a home? Is the Bible really that valuable? It's a pretty big thing to say. But uh, it seems consistent in many ways with what the Bible has to say about itself. The Bible presents itself as something of great value. For instance, uh, in Deuteronomy 17, we read uh, that the nation of Israel is being established in the Old Testament. The first books of the Bible are being written at that time. And there's a commandment given uh, through Moses that from that time forward, any king of Israel is to handwrite their own copy of the laws that are found in the books from Genesis to Deuteronomy, and they're to read them every day, uh, so that the king may learn to fear the Lord his God, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, so that he may continue long in his kingdom, he and his children in Israel. And clearly it was considered very valuable to the king and to the prosperity of his reign that he should write out his own copy of the Bible, we might say, those scriptures that they had, and read it every day. Many centuries later, uh, one of those kings, King David, uh, describes the laws and the commands and the rules of God found in the Bible this way. He says, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and drippings from the honeycomb. He found them hugely valuable. And in a similar line, 
uh, Psalm 1 talks about a person who delights in the law of God. And it says that person is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The Bible presents itself as something that's very valuable for kings, for queens, but for ordinary folk as well. And in this church, we believe in the great value of the Bible. And if you've been coming for a while, you may have noticed we teach from the Bible publicly every week. And that's not an accident. Uh, That's a deliberate uh, policy that we have. Uh, We're not here, those of us who, who teach on a Sunday morning as entertaining public speakers or for any other reason uh, than uh, to come before you and present you with uh, teaching from the Bible. And many of our sister churches uh, in the CCCNZ movement actually have the word Bible in their names. You might have noticed that. Uh, Te Aumudu Bible Chapel uh, here in Waipa, or Hukunui Bible Church over in Hamilton, or I was staying with a hockey team at the Mount uh, Bible Chapel uh, a couple of weeks ago uh, with Theo. So we believe in the great value of the Bible, and we're beginning a series uh, this week called uh, By the Book, Living in the Light of Scripture. And so we'll be looking at the subject for this week and then the following three weeks, four weeks in all, uh, looking at the place of the Bible in our lives personally and as a church. And as we start this morning, we want to ask this question, why would we think the Bible is so important? Why would we place a huge amount of value on this book? And the answer is pretty straightforward, really. It's because we believe in the Bible, God speaks to us and reveals himself to us and calls us to relationship and obedience with him. This is stated straightforwardly in a rather well-known verse. The Apostle Paul says, All scripture is breathed out by God. So, We believe, as it were, that the Bible comes directly from the mouth of God, that when the Bible speaks, God speaks. That's why it's valuable. might be worth, uh, at this point, just uh, talking about a couple of terms. First of all, the word, the Bible. Now, every Sunday morning, I suppose, and certainly through the series, we'll be reading from the Bible a lot, we'll be talking about the Bible, we'll be referring to the Bible. But one thing that could potentially be confusing for some people is you'll never read the word, the Bible, in the Bible, right? It's not a Bible word. Uh, So you won't find anywhere in the Bible a verse which talks about the Bible. Uh, The Bible is a term for this collection of writings which I understand first started being used um, in about the 3rd century AD for compilations of sacred uh, Christian writings. So it's a term which has grown over time, but it wasn't one that was used in Bible times. It's not a particularly descriptive title. Uh, I don't think a modern marketer would think to call it the Bible because it just comes from the Greek tabiblia, which means the books or the scrolls. That's all it means. But that's our term, the Bible. In the Bible itself, it does refer to these writings, but it uses a range of different terms. So we've already seen, for instance, in the Old Testament, the term law or Torah is often used to talk about key elements of the Old Testament writings, those aspects that regulated 
the life of Israel, the Old Testament uh, people of God. But in the New Testament, uh, the writings that we find in the Bible are generally referred to as Scripture. So that's the term the Bible itself uses, or certainly in the New Testament, Scripture or the Scriptures. And we find that term about 50 times in the New Testament. This is another word with a rather plain meaning. It comes from Latin, and it just means writings. But that's just to explain what we mean when we talk about the Bible or Scripture. As we were saying, uh, when the Bible speaks, God speaks. That's what we believe. And one of the big concepts of Christian faith, one of the things that just weaves its way through everything we believe is the idea that God has not hidden himself from us, but that he communicates, that he speaks to us. And that is a very cool and amazing thing. Our ability to know God absolutely depends on it. You know, common sense tells us that if we think about the ultimate reality that created 100 billion galaxies, whatever that thing is, it's totally incomprehensible. We're not going to get our minds around that. God is not a subject for our study, for our scrutiny. He can't be encompassed by our minds. We can't put him in a cage or in a lab and study God. He's too great. The Bible itself talks about God as dwelling in unapproachable light. He's the one who no one has seen or can see. You can't study God. And in our own uh, natural abilities, how could we possibly think that we could ever get to know God? We'd have no hope. Uh, apart from the fact that God has, in a way, lowered himself to our level and spoken in human language to us and revealed himself to us in that way. And that is amazing. It's one of the aspects of what we believe, that we consider good news, that God has spoken. He communicates to us. And that is wonderful. Jesus told a, a parable, which is to say a kind of an illustrative story, uh, that focuses on God's communication with humanity. And so I want to use that as a basis for our teaching this morning. Uh, and so I'll be turning to uh, Mark 12 and reading the story that Jesus told. And you find versions of it in Luke and Matthew as well, but we're going to use the version in Mark, and I'm going to read from chapter 12. And if you have a Bible with you, um, I would encourage you to read along. And Jesus began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the winepress and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. He still had one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, They'll respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, This is the heir, come. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. 
And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. So this is an illustrative story that uh, Jesus told. And uh, just to set the scene a little, uh, could someone tell me who do you think the vineyard owner is meant to represent in this story? Don't be shy. I know I don't do this often, but who, who is the vineyard owner? God, okay, yep, I can hear a few people calling that out, yeah. The vineyard owner here is representing God. Who are the tenants meant to represent? Okay, I've heard us, I heard something. I've heard something about prophets, we'll come to that, nation of Israel, okay. Okay, we can take it in a few different ways. Nation of Israel is a good one, us is a good one. Let's just say for the moment, the tenants represent those who are listening to Jesus and he directs his words to them and we can't go uh, into every detail of this parable but I just want to make a few broad comments based on the story that Jesus tells and the first comment or the first point that I want to make is that God speaks in this parable uh, Jesus talks about God's constant communication he talks about servants of the landowner, which we might take to be servants of God, who are coming and speaking to these tenants. And when Jesus talks about uh, these servants, he means prophets, which is what Fred was pointing out. Right? The servants who come again and again to these tenants, they're prophets. And we can see that clearly when we uh, compare this parable with other things that Jesus said more straightforwardly. For instance, when he says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. Right. When Jesus tells this parable, he's probably got in mind scriptures that he knew from the Old Testament, like these verses from the prophet Jeremiah. We say, from the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt to this day, I have persistently sent all my servants, the prophets, to them, day after day. This is God speaking, of course. Yet they did not listen to me or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck. They did worse than their fathers. God is persistently sending his servants, the prophets, to his people. They're not listening. I think that's what Jesus has in mind uh, when he tells this parable. The word uh, prophet is just a, a, a word that's taken straight over from Greek, prophetes. And it, it, to us, it sounds like a very religious word. It is a, a religious word, really, in English, isn't it? But in Greek, it wasn't necessarily religious. It just meant something like a spokesman or someone who speaks out or proclaims a message. But we understand when we talk about a prophet, we mean someone who has received a message from God and is proclaiming that message. That's what a prophet is. Someone who brings a message from God, whatever the content of that message might be. And we meet many, many prophets in the Bible, individuals like Nathan and Elijah and Jonah and Anna and others. And typically, when a prophet is relating their message from God, They'll say something like, the word of the Lord came to me. 
or I heard the voice of the Lord saying, or they might say, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. And phrases like these appear hundreds of times in the Bible. God was persistently sending his messages, message, his messages through his messengers, the prophets, his servants. And the cool thing is that sometimes the prophets wrote down their message and it was preserved. Not always. A prophet could just deliver, deliver a message verbally, but sometimes they were written down. And over time, these writings were recognized for their importance and they began to be compiled. And in fact, we understand that the Bible is basically a collection of prophetic writings which has been compiled over time. And that's why we can say all scripture is God-breathed because it's a collection of writings from the prophets and those who brought a message from God and spoke God's words on God's behalf. Now, these writings contain a huge amount of diversity. At the beginning of the book of Hebrews, it talks about the ways that God has communicated in the past, and it says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Some prophecy took the form of laws and commands, as we find in the books of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And there were books written by Moses, and when we think about Moses, we probably think about a statesman and a political leader and a national hero, but the Bible also calls him a prophet. And some of these uh, prophetic writings that we find in the Bible took the form of songs and proverbs, for instance, in the book of Psalms, which we associate with King David. And David was a great warrior, a fighter, um, but the Bible also calls him a prophet. And a lot of the Bible takes the form of historical narration and historical interpretation, like the books of Samuel or Acts. Uh, but these books also contain a message from God. They help us how to see how God is working through history. They bring a divine perspective on history. And they've always been understood to be prophetic writings also. So we say all of Scripture is God-breathed. It's prophetic, not just those books that we usually refer to uh, by that title. You might have a Bible that arranges its content page something like this. Sometimes we like to group the books of the Bible into categories. Uh, and so you find the five books of the law first in the Old Testament, and then you have 12 books of history, and then you have the five wisdom books, and you've got 17 prophets, and so on. And you might think, well, the prophets is that group of the five major and the 12 minor prophets, and maybe Revelation, maybe that's prophecy as well. But what I'm saying is we should understand that all of the Bible is, a, is prophetic. It's a message brought to us uh, from God. All Scripture is God-breathed. Our God is a communicative God one who repeatedly speaks to his people. He spoke to those who heard the prophets long ago. He continues to speak to us through those things which have been preserved for us in Scripture. Now, God speaks through uh, the prophets, but also through 
the son. And you'll notice that the climactic action of the parable comes when the vineyard owner sends his beloved son. It says he had still one other, a beloved son, and finally he sent him to them saying, they'll respect my son. And we understand that the climax of God's communication to humanity has come through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. If we complete that quote from the book of Hebrews, it says this, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus was certainly a prophet, one who brought the word of God, the word of the gospel, uh, but he was much more than a prophet. He was the beloved son. As the Nicene Creed puts it, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. And so in Jesus, uh, we see God revealed in an unparalleled way. And in Jesus, the teaching and instruction of God comes to a point of perfection. And in Jesus, all of those events and personalities and predictions and teachings of the Old Testament come and find their fulfillment in him. And in Jesus, the salvation and the hope and the future of God's people is secured. God's communication uh, through the prophets came to a high point, came in fact to its conclusion in, in Jesus and his designated apostles. And in a sense, uh, in the form that we have in the scriptures at least, God's communication was complete. And uh, so... Uh, with the coming of the Son, we have the scriptures we need, and the compilation of the Bible came to a natural end. So that's why I'm not planning on writing a book of the Bible anytime soon. Um, my wife would be a good candidate to, to write a second book of Proverbs or something, but she's not going to do it either. Because with the Son, you know, you can't do any better than that. We believe that God's communication to us has come to a point of perfection in Jesus, and we're no longer... Uh, writing Bible books. But God has been speaking and he continues to speak uh, to us through the scriptures that bring the word of God and that testify to the Son of God. Now, we've talked about a few things based in this parable, but we probably haven't really touched on some of the big stuff, have we? I don't know whether you noticed. It's, it's not a particularly positive parable. It's quite dark doesn't really seem to have a happy ending and there's a big challenge in this parable isn't there because God is speaking but the challenge Jesus issues is are we listening those people who were there at the time us now are we actually listening to what God has to say God's trying to get our attention uh, but will we listen to him and through this parable, Jesus indicates that in the normal course of events, people are prone to reject the word of God. Right? The tenants don't listen. In fact, they're complete scoundrels. When, you, when we read this parable, we're shocked, actually, aren't we? 
at their behavior. It's terrible. But those are words that are directed to us and to people generally. Right? The Israelites had a history of killing uh, and mistreating the prophets and persecuting them. That's the point Jesus is making. And those at the time of Jesus also rejected his word and they killed him as in fact Jesus was predicting in this parable. And things haven't changed greatly over time. People are still prone to ignore or even uh, reject the scriptures. That's just reality. The New Zealand Bible Society has regularly been surveying New Zealanders' engagement with the Bible for several decades now. And they found that ownership of a Bible has been falling over time. In 1986, it was 85% of New Zealanders who had a Bible. Now it's 57%. So it's still a slender majority. The number's falling. But their surveying also shows most people don't read the Bible. Most people would say they aren't influenced by the Bible in New Zealand. Uh, this is a, a word cloud developed by the Bible Society based on their research. When they asked the general population, what is the main message of the Bible? They get a variety of answers, and some of them you can see up here are not too bad, you know, like believe in God or be good to others or whatever it might be. But the dominant answer they get from New Zealanders when they ask them, what is the main message of the Bible, is don't know. Right? That's our reality in New Zealand. Um, people, as they always have been, are prone to ignore and reject uh, the message which has come to us from God. And in, in our societies, it's fair to say the prestige of the Bible has been falling for many years now. And I'm quite interested to see what will happen at the coronation of King Charles III. And uh, will he similarly be presented with a Bible at his coronation? It'll just be interesting to know and to see what happens. People reject and resist the message of the Bible for a number of reasons. Uh, I, many people have intellectual barriers to engaging with the Bible. They've got questions about science or history, things that leave them sceptical about what the Bible says. And so there are many people that, that don't believe that when the Bible speaks, God speaks. And... Those are honest questions that people have. We want to engage with those as Christians and answer those questions. And maybe next time, so it won't be next week, but maybe in two weeks' time and we take the subject up again of the Bible, we might think a bit more about that. Uh, is, is, uh, can, can we demonstrate? Can we be confident in thinking that the Bible uh, brings a word from God? But if I was to approach just a random member of the congregation here this morning, and ask one of you, is the Bible a word from God? I think most of you would say yes. You'd think the answer was yes, or you'd think that I thought the answer was yes, or for some reason you would tell me, yes, this, the Bible comes from God. It's a message from God. So for most of us, the issue is not an intellectual belief, uh, but still we can be tempted to reject the Bible. right? Not because we don't believe God speaks, uh, but because we don't want to hear the word God speaks. In the song that, uh, was, that we sung together just before I got up, right? it says, help our unbelief, open our ears. You know, we need those kind of prayers because 
although we might intellectually believe that the Bible brings us truth from God, that doesn't mean we don't resist it and even reject it. Because we don't want the Bible to challenge our, our attitudes and our beliefs about relationships and marriage. Or we don't want the Bible to challenge us uh, about money. Uh, we don't want the Bible to challenge us about pride and, and humility or about the way that we're demonstrating love for others. You know, there's a whole range of areas where the Bible would speak to us and we can be tempted to resist that. That's, that, that's a temptation for me. That's a temptation for any of us. No matter what we say, we believe about the Bible. You know, the, the, the listeners of Jesus were religious people who believed that God spoke through the prophets, weren't they? Notice the motives of the tenants. Right? The tenants aren't motivated to reject the message because they think the servants are imposters. They're not motivated because they don't understand the message that the, the servants are bringing. The problem uh, is laid out in verse 7 where it says, the tenants said to one another, this is the heir, come. Let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. Right? Their motivation for rejecting the message is that they want to run the vineyard. They don't want anyone else being the boss of them. And they don't want to submit to the owner of the vineyard. That's the problem that they have. And I think that can be a tendency for us too. We hear what we want to hear. Uh, we resist an uncomfortable message and we can become uh, selective listeners. Uh, the great early missionary Paul, who planted a lot of churches and started a lot of churches, he predicts that actually there will be people within the church who resist the Bible, who resist the message of God. This is what he says about the days that are coming. He says, People will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth. Now, again, notice the motivation. That's the important thing that I want to point out here. The, the, the motivation for rejecting the truth is not intellectual, although it might present in that way, but actually stems from our desires, our wish to do what we like. That's what drives a lot of rejection of the message of God. And that is something that we don't put on others. We're all vulnerable to that temptation. I'm vulnerable to that. I know I have to battle with that. Uh, as an eldership, we have in the past uh, few years renewed our commitment uh, to examine the scriptures together as a group in the church and to seek to order our church life according to the scriptures and to help us do that we prepared a statement on the authority of of scripture last year uh, and this is a foundational statement for us as a as the the elders group at this church about how we want to address issues in the church we want to do it in the light of scripture and so if you haven't come across the statement, I recommend you read it. It's not too long. It's about three pages. And in this sermon series, we'll be addressing a lot of the topics that are covered in this statement. So it would be a useful bit of homework to do if you uh, really want to know more to read the Elder's Statement on the Authority of Scripture. It's, you have to do a little bit of digging on the website. I have put the uh, URL there, but if you go into the 
the blog posts and search for authority of scripture or something like that, it will pop up. Or you can just ask an elder and they can send you a link. So as an elder, uh, I've had to renew my commitment to listen to scripture and to try to abide by scripture in the way that we do church. I wonder uh, where you're at. Whether you feel like you're listening to God or not. It's, it's possible that you, you're here and you really feel like you haven't been taking the Bible seriously enough in your own life. You haven't engaged with it in the way that you would like to. Uh, so let me just uh, suggest a couple of practical starting points if you, if you want to uh, think about uh, listening more. Because of course, in order to listen and be receptive, you do have to be reading <laughs> and opening the Bible. So firstly, if, you, if the Bible really is, is, is foreign territory to you and you've really never spent much time thinking about the Bible or reading the Bible and if it seems quite overwhelming and confusing and you want a general orientation, then I'd recommend this little book put out by the Bible Society of New Zealand called The Field Guide to the Bible. It's got big print, unlike many Bibles. It's short and it has heaps of useful practical stuff in it, suggestions about how to read the Bible, uh, a summary of the storyline of the Bible, summaries of all the different books in the Bible, and so on. So if you really feel like you need an orientation, that's a great place to start. There are usually copies hanging around here at church. So um, if anyone would like a copy, let me know. Give your, give your name to the office, and we will endeavor to make sure you can have a copy. Okay. Maybe you have children, and as a family, you're thinking about how to engage better with the Bible and to make the Bible more a part of your life. And when we were just coincidentally talking about this as a family a couple of weeks ago, uh, this, this came up as, as something that was big for my son in particular, was the Action Bible. Like it's a cartoon Bible, comic strip Bible. That's pretty good, right? So uh, Theo's read it. We didn't have to force him to read it. And... Um, I'd suggest if you've got a family, something like that can be good for getting into the Bible. But of course, at the end of the day, if we want to make the Bible uh, a part of life, there's nothing that beats actually opening the Bible and read it. Other things can be helpful, but you just have to dive in. And uh, I'd say uh, developing a habit of listening to God in Scripture is not uh, particularly easy sometimes, uh, it's not as entertaining as turning on Netflix or Sky Sports or something like that. But the discipline of reading the Bible to hear God is also an amazing privilege. Isn't it incredible that we can hold something that carries a message from the creator of the universe? I mean, that is amazing. That is a real privilege. Uh, and it's well worth the discipline of uh, trying to engage with the Bible and listen to God. So my suggestion would be, if you haven't been in the habit of reading the Bible, think about a time in the day when you, when you have some structured time when maybe you could even um, multitask. Like maybe, you, maybe breakfast. If you have breakfast every day, why not take a few minutes over breakfast uh, to read the Bible rather than doom scrolling? And when you do it, 
something that I've often done in the past is have a, 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 a notebook like this, precisely like this actually, for some reason I like this size notebook, but you just, just every day, just note the verses that you read, the date, and just any observations that, that struck you, anything interesting that you read, just note it down. That'd be my suggestion. If you want to start building a habit, don't be overly ambitious um, to start with. Just give yourself a few minutes a day to start reading. There's some practical suggestions. But may we be people who listen. Not like those wicked tenants. We don't want to be those guys, do we? Let's commit ourselves again to listening uh, to the voice of God that we find in Scripture. Let's pray. God, our whole knowledge of you depends on the fact that you have spoken to us. We're so grateful and thankful for that. It's so good to be able to pray to you, to call out to you, to know you, and to recognize that you have communicated with us in so many different ways, but particularly this morning we're thinking about the Bible and your, and your prophetic word, which has been written and preserved for us. We thank you for that. We thank you that we have possession of it, that we can look at it, that we can turn to it regularly. Uh, we want to put our hearts before you now and just acknowledge that often we want to resist and reject what you say to us in Scripture. We pray that you would help us not to be like those wicked tenants and not just to push you away, but that we will open ourselves up to hear and to implement your word for us in our lives and to be seeking always to live in light of what you've told us. Help us to do this, we pray. Amen.